Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Here's three great reasons to get the new Samsung Galaxy S21 5G at T-Mobile. One, it's free for both current and new customers when you trade in an eligible device. Two, T-Mobile's the leader in 5G coverage. So, three, you can unleash 5G speeds in more places with your new phone. Get the new Galaxy S21 free at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage. Phone via 24 monthly bill credits plus tax. If you cancel credit, stop and balance on required finance agreement may be due. Contact us. Qualifying credit and consumer plan required. See details at T-Mobile.com. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Kaiju Curry House the weekly show that gives you a healthy dose of kaiju goodness every single Monday. My name is Paul Williams, and today I'm joined by Alex. Hi there. Joe. Howdy. And today we have a special guest, Mark Maddox, who is an illustrator. Hello, Mark. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Sure. I heard that we're going to be reviewing Matango. You heard right. Yeah. Now, where did this idea come about? I like mushrooms. <laughs> you like mushrooms. <laughs> Splendid. Well, the reason why I mention it is because on our Facebook page, UK Kaiju fans, one of our members said that Attack of the Mushroom... Was it Attack of the Mushroom Men? Is that Attack the... of the Mushroom People. Attack of the Mushroom People. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me there. Matango was available on Amazon Prime. Now, technically, it is the most expensive Amazon Prime download I have ever had, because what? my membership lapsed oh. two days before <laughs> I went to watch it. So I was like, ah, oh, I'll go and watch Matango, that'll be fun. It's, ah, oh, you need to renew your membership. So I paid £80 to watch the film. Which, wow. Yeah. So That's I need dedication. to inform you that it is, I need to inform you that the entire time I, I review this film, Frame that as I paid £80 to see that, okay? So if I ever seem a little bit kind of, you know, grumpy about it, I paid 80 quid to see it's it. got a bad review from you. <laughs> it's a good film. Um, Joe, what have Kaiju been up to? Uh, I'm going to actually have to disappoint you guys this week. I have not spent any money frivolously, but I have watched Tango, And my sister's birthday present to me finally came in i'm not sure if you guys can see it but i'm wearing a shirt that is the creature from the black lagoon please keep the lagoon clean nice yeah yeah it's, bas- yeah it's really cool so basically it's the creature from the black lagoon and he's covered in like rubbish and it just says please keep the lagoon clean and one of the things that i'm really passionate about is uh not using single-use plastics and just generally keeping oceans and bodies of water clean because that's a thing folks you should do it Right. But uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I've been up to. Um, we're all getting out so much and doing so much socially now. So um, hopefully in the coming weeks, I'll be able to give you more. But uh, anyways, 
Paul, what have kaiju been up to? Oh, I'm glad you've asked, Joe. I have been up to some great kaiju stuff. So, firstly, I've completed Gears of War 5, which was a great game. Yes, full of kaiju. And the end boss, the end boss is a kraken, which looks that, uh, looks like uh, Bylante. Nice. And you're basically fighting the head. And one of its attacks is that it has three tongues that come out and grab you, which sounds oddly familiar. So it's basically mm. a graboid and Bylante merged together, which makes me very happy. And yeah. there is Paul's yeah. uh, Tremors reference for the episode. In case you oh, no, folks. no, no, wait, there's more. There's more graboid goodness. Because because there's there's a, a single has been released by Wolfie's Just Fine. It's the latest single from the album Perfection Nevada. <laughs> oh, uh, gosh. Yeah, yes, that's right. There's a Gravoid song. There's a it's a it's a, a song written from the perspective of a Gravoid. And the whole music video is made using clips from the film Tremors. Oh cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's cool. and it's actually like a good song. It is like it's, it's a bit like a like a country song. It's really nice. <laughs> don't don't laugh, Joe. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. I know. What armpit of the internet did you find that? <laughs> would Would you believe it was recommended to me by Google? <laughs> like it knows what I like. <laughs> Lord, good Lord. So we found uh, two things uh, about out about Paul tonight. He's a country listener, and he's one of those people that clicks <laughs> yes to having Google access his information. Oh, God, it knows everywhere. Ooh. Yeah, it always asks me to review places I've visited. <laughs> oh. So, um, Alex, how about you tell me what have Kaiju been up to? Well, it's the moment that you've all been waiting for because I finally watched Mimic Two, which hey. was my Christmas present. <laughs> From Paul. So, last Christmas, you sent over a copy of Mimic 2 in jest because I absolutely slated the first Mimic film for the pile, well, steaming pile of rubbish that it is. So, you thought it'd be fun to kind of waste my time with the second Mimic film. And... You know when you sit down, ready for a tirade, you know, your phone's out, social media's ready, and you're like, I'm going to absolutely destroy this. It's like those horrible people who get onto planes and are already writing the negative reviews before the food's (laughs) even come out because they're hoping to kind of get a discount on the next flight, that kind of toxic person. So I'm sat there thinking, right, okay, I've got Mimic 2, I'm ready to do this. It was It was all right. It was actually quite good, and I, I feel betrayed that it was actually quite a good film. <laughs> I'm not disappointed, because I was looking forward to kind of having a right grumble about how rubbish it was. It's a better film than the first Mimic. Wow. Okay. Genuinely. And I, yeah, exactly. And can I just check? This is the film that had the synopsis of... the It dies, its head drops off, doesn't it, or something? But it's still alive? Yes. It, in, yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's, that's better than the first film. It was better than the oh, wow. first film. Are, are you sure that? <laughs> yeah. Are you sure that wasn't because your expectations were just so low? They must have been very, very low. <laughs> May, maybe, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> I think like my, my spirits were high because I got my kids to sleep early, and you know, like I was like, yes, go downstairs, put in a film. Ah, oh, I'll watch Mimic Two. 
this is going to be awful. And it was good fun. <laughs> it was all right. It was it was just utter nonsense, but very entertaining. Oh, so okay. thank you for that, Paul. I will ex- expect a copy of Mimic 3 <laughs> yeah. uh, Sentinel for Christmas uh, 2020. That would be splendid. <laughs> In terms of the news, have we noticed that we have a composer confirmed for Kong versus Godzilla? No. That silence there? No? Yeah, okay, I, well. I saw it. I well, saw after you mark? No, I saw the name yeah. of some... I don't know the person. Who was it? I, I saw the... Uh, yeah, um, the... Oh, one second, I'll bring him up. So it's Junkie XL, and um, that's the nickname for Tom Holkenborg, who is a Dutch composer who did the soundtrack to Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, okay. Which was... Um, like yeah. Yeah. You know, d- decent right. he also did the soundtrack to Deadpool to Batman vs Superman so he's got like some pretty impressive films behind him I know that the expectations are already very high because people love the um, Bear McCree oh, is it Bear McCree Bear, yeah how do you pronounce it Bear Bear McCreary is that Bear it McCreary's. Yeah. okay yeah, because people loved his soundtrack so much, so I think that there will be people who are already kind of going to be disappointed that he's not returning. But Mad, Mad Max Fury Road was a good film that had very good soundtrack. Yes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a slacker. It isn't like a complete who 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 are we talking about? Never heard of him. You know, so hmm. it could be good. Yeah, it could be good. Hmm. And our special guest, um, what have you been? Uh, Good grief. Shocking. I whiffed whiffed that, didn't I? Was that the right word, Joe? Yes, you totally did. You whiffed that one. I whiffed that. We'll try that again. Mark, what have Kaiju been up to? Uh, Lately, uh, podcasting, uh, um, working on different pieces of artwork. I've got uh, some some artwork going out for... uh, in in the U.S. uh, Shout Factory doing some, some hammer work, hammer films. And uh, I've got uh, doing uh, doing another piece of work here soon for for British magazine Infinity. Uh, be doing uh, uh, a mysterious island piece for the Ray Harryhausen film. Uh, so nice. yeah, and then just some other stuff. I got a couple of Lost in Space commissions, just mm. different stuff. Just you know, you wake up, you make a pot of coffee, you go in your Batman slippers into your art studio, and you start drawing, and that's your job. So it's not uh, not not too bad. I can't complain. Splendid. What do you think of the film Mysterious Island? Oh, I absolutely love it. I absolutely mm. love it. Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, some of the creatures in there are real beautiful. Nice settings, filming in Spain. You know that always uh, you know, beautiful locations and everything. Great soundtrack by Bernard Herrmann. So I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Yeah. That's the film where two of the main characters climb into the honeycomb, isn't it? The giant honeycomb with the bees. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a wonderful setting yeah. uh, with the, the huge shadows cast as they set up the fire to melt down the wax. Yeah. Um, I played that for my children recently and they were mesmerized. And it's a nice kind of monster classic movie to play for them because it's not too frightening it's exciting rather than frightening and um, they loved it the only part where they were a little bit scared was when the the giant sort of bird ostrich type creature yeah. kind of runs out my, my son was a little bit frightened huh. but yeah it's a pororacus it is a terror bird yeah i used to <laughs> um i used to play the soundtrack in the car when my kids were real little and 
you know, they're like three and four years old and they would, you know, I'd be playing something else and they go, play the giant crab music, play the giant crab music, something like the weirdest kids, you know, they don't want to hear, you know, whoever the latest is on the radio, whatever. They mm. want to hear a, a music about being attacked by a giant crab, but those are my kids, you know, <laughs> uh, they've got my DNA in them. So, uh, they're, uh, <laughs> they're infected. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's obviously good taste in films. <laughs> yeah. How are we going to do this in terms of Matango? Well, I figure we should introduce the film. Um, it's also known in the United States as the Attack of the Mushroom People, which I feel kind of gives away the plot. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a bit. No more so than the Japanese poster, I suppose. But uh, I think whilst we're going to be talking about Matango, a.k.a. Attack of the Mushroom People, we need to preface this by going to a book which came out nine years before if I understand that correctly. So in 1954, there was a book written by William Golding, and it was called The Lord of the Flies. Have we all read this book? Have we all heard of this book? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you who have not read this book or do not know what it's about, it is about a group of boys who become stranded on an uninhabited island, and they kind of have to like fend for themselves. So it starts off well enough and, you know, like they assign tasks, they are looking for food, they are setting up, you know, like ways to talk, you know, like there's a general morale. And over the course of the book, things just kind of deteriorate until there are two factions and basically there's like one group trying to kill another group and it, it just dissolves into complete and total violent anarchy you might suppose um and eventually like uh the survivors are found and the people find them like what on earth have you been up to so that book came out and it's been something of a classic it's a bit pessimistic in human nature to be sure um but that book came out um i said nine years before matango came out in 1963 if i understand it correctly Anybody want to fact check me on that one? No, it came out in 1963. Yeah, that's right. Cool beans. Right. So anyways, um, Matango came out after that. And I think that there is definitely some similarities between Lord of the Flies and Matango. So Matango, it has a group of well-off, I guess you could call them like, I don't know, they most of them are academics or in the arts. So we have like a studio guy, we have a singer actress, mm. we have a psychology professor. You know, like we have a bunch of educated folks, and then we have a couple of sailors. And they're out on a pleasure cruise on a yacht, and there's a storm, and they wind up beached on this island. And we then kind of go into Lord of the Flies territory. It starts off well enough. And then things kind of, you know, run amok from there. So it would have been a really good film in its own right if it had just stuck to the Lord of the Flies plot, I feel. However, what I feel elevates it is the Mushroom People bit. So I'll stop talking now and I'll let one of you kind of go on to how do mushrooms play into this film? Like, where does that come in? Mark, how many times have you seen this film? Oh, I don't know. Probably 
maybe five, six, something like that. I thought I first saw it in 1969. Uh, I was, uh, it was a, a show, uh, out of Denver, Colorado called science fiction theater. And, uh, they, the, the, I saw the title in the TV guide that said it was coming on. And I said, what a stupid sounding name, attack of the mushroom <laughs> people. I much more prefer yeah. the Matango. And I, I'm not certain if that's, the only title that it came with there i want to say there was something about fungus or something too somebody can check that one that there's other titles for the film as well but something with the with the word fungus but i remember watching it and thinking how incredibly creepy it was uh it's not like the bright light of day of other films coming from toho at the time even though there were monsters and stuff uh, you know, Mothra versus Godzilla was about that time, very brightly lit, very kind of almost in a way kind of upbeat, whereas uh, things like uh, the H-Man or the Human Vapor, or some of these other films are got a more creepy presence to them. And this one not having really any kaiju in it, no large monsters, yeah. we're talking more of a, a, of a horror film, uh, kind of reminds me of stuff like... Uh, uh, Lake of Dracula or something like that, where it's uh, human-sized terrors, and there's a very, hmm. um, a very, uh, uh, there's a there's a weird creepiness to this film. And as I get older, it gets even weirder because uh, I now live in Florida. It's like the allergy belt of this country, the the area that I'm living in, and we've got a thing here. I don't know in in Britain what kind of molds and fungus issue guys have but we've got stuff here that that has been attributed to killing people called, called uh, uh black mold or like a, a i think some people call it black death mold that might be a bit of an overstatement but you've got a sort of a a thing that's been known to really just take people out eventually with breathing and stuff so i'm watching this movie again for the sixth or seventh time and i'm sitting there going like <laughs> you know sort of like this movie's making me i gotta go get my allergy medicine or something um it's it's got uh, the sets the sets are very very well done the whole interior of the ship with different rooms having these different colored powders all over them representing the mold the mushrooms themselves the the whole decision whether or not to eat the mushrooms and then the weird euphoria they give you to before they start to convert you into the creature. I don't know on this show whether we you, whether you guys do spoilers or not. Do you oh yeah, we spoilers. <laughs> All right, spoil away. Well, I mean that's kind of the weird thing. You're sed- almost seduced into it. Uh, you yeah. know, you you eat them and you get this uh, drunken fervor, and then and then you start to change over into one of them. Um, there's a well, lot. Let's backtrack slightly. Uh, sorry to interrupt you there. So oh, Joe was taking us through and. There's, you know, relatively well-to-do folk, you know, a fairly sort of middle-class income, and they arrive on this island after a pretty serious storm. Where do the mushrooms come in? You know, for people who've not kind of watched this story, because I know for myself, when I was watching a couple of nights ago, it seemed to take a little while to get going, because I thought there's just folks on a boat. <laughs> and when the storm hits, I'm almost expecting a monster to rise up from the waters to yeah. attack them, because you're like, oh yeah, it's a Toho movie. Right. There's, there's going to be some sort of shark or giant crab or squid, but it, no, no. no. And, then, and then it crash lands on the island. Right. Yeah. And and they're getting hungry. Well, you get there... They're... 
there's a lot of normal survival things at this point. How are we going to eat? But then there's the weirdness of this other ship where people have obviously been on the island. But and that's where we go to an actual horror story, uh, you know, uh, with Lord of the Flies being referenced earlier. It's like this thing seemed pretty normal. Um, and we are starting to see at the beginning already the differences between the educated and the uneducated, the people that are, are powerful financially and the people that resent it and uh, the way that that rises to the surface later or the privilege of the very wealthy to do whatever the hell they want to do. Uh, there's all that in there. Uh, it kind of gets sw- kind of gets pushed over to the side when you start realizing there's a fantastical element to this island that doesn't care. You know, you're going to go whether you're poor or rich or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a little later. I mean, it's surprisingly, like you said, we've got them on the boat. They're there. The lady's singing. I mean, some of the best lyrics I've ever heard. La, 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 la. I mean, it's amazing. Somebody should write that down. It is the dub, to be fair. We're talking about the dub. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I thought in the... I, I watched it in Japanese and she does la, la, la. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did too. I, yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't have to pay a hundred bucks for, for to hear her sing it either. But uh, yeah, I mean, it really does go a long time. But the element of spookiness starts more with the set design design and the grayness of the movie finally when we get to a full-on we're kind of prepped and and ready to go um but like you said it's this is not godzilla you're not going to see something knock the boat over or anything like that no 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 as you say it's right it must be the last what 20 minutes maybe that it starts to ramp up yeah the actual mushroom people before then it is just a a human film we're we're just seeing what Mm what goes horribly wrong when you're stranding on an island and you're getting hungry and yeah and there's mold around it's it's really good isn't it they find this other ship and suddenly they realize that chemicals where the chemicals are the mushrooms or fungus hasn't grown and you know, they're quite quick to figure out we shouldn't be eating this or we, we shouldn't really be going anywhere near it and so they're desperately mm. trying to find other sources but there's nothing alive on the island no. And then it's just slowly, isn't it, going into madness, really? Yeah, it gets quite harrowing. It it does, yeah. yeah. The entire set has this kind of sleazy feel to it, in that you look at the environment they're in, and from the effects that are there, you're like, no, no, I do not want to touch that. That looks <laughs> that looks dangerous. As you say, kind of the, the use of powders, it, it looks disgusting. Yeah. And there's, there's lots of cobwebs everywhere, and there's that real feel of decay to the entire set. It it looks like it, it's sort of being consumed by itself. So it, it's a pretty gross set to look at. I wouldn't necessarily want to. I would have made up uh, something out of sh- bamboo and and big palm fronds, and I would have I would have been building a house before I stayed on that boat. <laughs> you know, I would have checked. Yes. Okay, I don't think there's any tigers on the island or anything like that. Okay, I'm going to build a house because I'm not staying in there because that just looks nasty. <laughs> yeah, and it is nasty. Yeah, that's fair well, enough. We have come to our first break, folks. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main? Think... What's the main planet that Endor? The forest moon of Endor. It's a moon, so it's there's a major planet, obviously that it. Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet then? See, th- isn't that confusing? <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Screen heroes. If the MCU gets that, then I really think 
that Space Jam needs to be part of the DCEU. Yes! Okay, because <laughs> they have a big Marvel versus DC crossover <laughs> where Airbud takes on Space Jam. Man, we should write for these companies. <laughs> That's what it comes, it's Airbud versus Bugs Bunny. That's, That's what it's right. all come down to. One on one. Yes, done. All right. And then, like, at the end, it's Galactus versus LeBron James. And Squirrel Girl wins. <laughs> Red shirts and runabouts. Something we've talked about before and other people have, but there's, there's so much of real-life history involved with Star Trek. From Gene Roddenberry's days, his time in the military as, a, as on, on a bomber pilot, as a bomber crewman, you know, James Doohan serving, all these people and all these real-life events that have impacted things. That's very realistic of political and military leaders kind of resigning in protest at a decision they can't control. Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Hello, and welcome back to part two of Kaiju Curry House. Tonight we are talking about Matango, also known as Attack of the Mushroom People. We also have special guest Mark Maddox with us tonight. Hello, Mark. Hey, hey. So before we left, we were talking about the film, and one of the things that we were discussing over the break that I brought up was the makeup and effects in this film. So we were talking about the powder. Um, they make good use of special effects with powder in this motion picture, and it makes the whole set look and feel kind of grody. For those of you who have had to deal with mold or damp problems in a home or have had to live around it, it is not a fun thing. And Matango is not going to help you if you get the jitters <laughs> looking at that stuff. If you are OCD, this is not a film for you. Um, anyway, uh, one of the things that I really, really like about the film that really ups the creepy factor. So again, spoilers. So they're going hungry and eventually some of them start to eat. <laughs> we'll literally call them magic mushrooms, I guess. So the mushrooms here once you eat them, there's a line in the film. It says, once you eat them, you really can't stop. You become addicted to them. And they slowly turn you into a mushroom person or a person that is becoming a giant mushroom. It is a rather disgusting process, but it's really interesting because the special effects folks at Toho, what they did when they did all this makeup is that they have the characters in various transitional forms of becoming a mushroom person over we'll call the last third of the film. And it is harrowing and creepy because whenever you see them, they're eating the mushrooms, they're tripping out. So they're happy. And I don't know whether it's the mushrooms themselves or if someone just really wanted to creep us out, but there's lots of laughter, like little kids giggling and laughing yeah. mm. in the background. And the scene that you're seeing doesn't make you feel comfortable with that it really doesn't so I, I just really wanted to give a special shout out to the makeup uh in this film it's really fantastic and one of the things again that we were discussing over the break was that if you read the title attack the mushroom people and think that that's this is going to be a corny film it really isn't it actually has a really good premise it has a solid plot it's well acted Maybe not the best vocals, right, Mark? La 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 la. <laughs> well, she does some singing later. That's okay. I mean, but it's in in the native tongue. But the la 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 just you know 
just quite doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I mean, but again, this is a fairly iconic film with some really good effects work. It's actually been duplicated a number of times and given credence in a couple of other science fiction uh, fandoms. The one that comes to mind uh, for me as a British reference is I don't know if many of you have come across Primeval that was done by ITV. Yep. Yeah, okay. okay. So in the third season, on the fifth episode, a guy gets exposed to a fungus and he starts turning into a mushroom person over the course of the film. Or not the film, I'm sorry, the episode. And one of the main concerns is is that this fungus infects you but he's running through London um, infected and he's looking for places that are cool and dark as the mushroom or the fungus takes over. Yeah. And the whole like scare factor, the thrill factor is like they don't want this fungus taking root in like London's underground slash sewer system and infecting the whole populace because then you will get a bunch of mushroom people. But when you look at the design of the character – it's pretty much Toho's mushroom people, to be fair. I mean, it looks huh. just like them. And they did a really huh. good job with it. Did you know that the film was nearly banned on the basis of the special effects? Oh, really? I did not know this. So, um, interesting fact. So the makeup, you referencing it as being very good, was actually really controversial because it reminded that generation of the effects from Hiroshima uh, and Nagasaki. Keyword yeah. scarring. From the, the, ato- the atomic burns. Yeah, so it would have been... Yeah, so the, the blisters upon the face so it would have been very emotive to kind of see. And that's a fair enough reason for that to have nearly been banned. Right. And that, that's where, like, adding to the point that the name doesn't really do it justice. You earlier, Mark, saying about other titles. I have got some alternative titles here. Um, One moment. So there's obviously Attack of the Mushroom People, which is in the United States. But in the United Kingdom, it was called Matango Fungus of Terror. Yeah, which that's better. Yeah, Fungus of Terror sounds a bit like a Doctor Who episode. It reminds you of the Green Death. Right. But it it's still not as good as just Matango. I think Matango makes you go, ooh, what's that? Well, Attack of the Mushroom People sounds like there's a building, there's a giant mushroom man, and he's smashing the crap out. (laughs) It's sort of like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters. I'm not – that's Attack of. I don't know if they so much attack as they lure you in. should be more like Mm. seduction Mm -hmm. of the mushroom people would be way better. <laughs> which, <Sorry>. which sounds <laughs> a little bit uh, it sounds Seduction. a bit dicey <laughs> it like... but it it is the right it is the right word though because the characters are seduced into taking these mushrooms and i am right that there's kind of there are strong messages of drug culture in the film Yes, yeah. like it, it, oh, it yeah. seems to be kind of some commentary on, you know, youths and adults abusing substances. And um, my partner who watched it with me uh, when she was sat next to me, she was saying, well, the whole idea is that, you know, your, your group gets pulled in. And even if you take a stance against it, you're in the wrong crowd because yeah. the main character, spoiler, you know, even though he doesn't take the mushrooms, he's still consumed by them. So there's that kind of that theme of drugs, how it destroys everything that you know, and they're pulled in. And there's that slight kind of sexiness to the environment, which is weird for how skivvy and gross it looks. Yeah. Later on, 
in the film, you know, they're all laughing and they're sat amongst the mushrooms, you know, come and join us. It's wonderful. You'll love it here. And it's that real sense of that, you know, you, you cannot escape. You, you will be pulled into that world and you're not going. Almost like a, dr- a drug culture where you're going to end up being kind of a stoner and not doing anything for the rest of your life. You're sort mm. of in this in this room. It'd be like you you know you were in a, a, a an opium den that you could never leave yes. from or something like that. The other thing too is uh, back to the makeup. We were talking about um, okay. You see the the see the different changes. Uh, the one guy that it kind of I guess he attacks the the ship or whatever, and he's got the big blisters, the big boils yeah. all over his face. He was he was the creepy one. When they get to full blown mushroom person, they just almost look like an alien creature. They're not quite so disgusting. It's those in between mushroom people that are disturbing, the half halfway sort of thing. And the earliest people, um the the the, the leading lady in the film, she um she uh when she starts to first eat the mushroom she becomes actually very sexy i mean she's got her clothes and and everything she's like she's trying to lure these people in uh but then finally you start to see there's some stuff on the side of her face and her hand is starting to turn greenish gray and then you look over and there's her 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 friend uh one of the sailors and he's really starting to get consumed by it um you know, it is kind of an analogy for for drug addiction mm. in a way. Yeah, and the actress that you're referring to, that was um, Kumi Mizuno. Kumi, Kumi yeah. Mizuno, yeah, and she was in loads of Godzilla Lots films. Of them, like, yeah. yeah, watching this film, I was getting thinking, oh, I know him, oh, I know her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they've probably all been in different Toho films. I'm sure they must have been. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I saw all of them are from different ones. Uh, some of them multiples, but uh, yeah, she was very good in it. Um, Hmm. But but she got very sexy there for a little while. So at first, like that's why I'm saying it's almost like seduction, seducing you to this part of the island where where you will never leave. But uh, the large mushroom mushroom creatures are very cool looking to me. Uh, it was weird. I was looking around on I know it was Facebook or just on the the web the other day. The, in in Japan, they come up with some of the craziest toys. They have like a Godzilla on a tricycle. This old 1960s like metal tin toy of Godzilla on a tricycle. Well, I'm looking around and there's a mushroom person on a tricycle toy you can buy. <laughs> what I don't know if you, have you guys ever seen that? <laughs> I've yeah, seen I mean, it. I don't no, I have not. The, no. That's the part of the film that was cut where they chase them on yeah. their trikes, I guess. But no, it's like a mushroom person on a tricycle. I'm like, what the hell is this? Well, but, the oh well. material that the giant mushrooms were made out of was uh, rice pastry. Oh, tasty. Really? So it would have gone moldy uh, eventually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you left it long enough, so it yeah. became real. Maybe that's what they did. One question I had about the film, the, the the one guy looks like he's sort of invading the ship, and uh, and then there's a scene where the guy, like, fades out. Everybody remember that? That's the one thing I've got a question about. Is that supposed to be a ghost-like ability, or it wasn't in their imagination or whatever? You know what because I'm afterwards about? they're 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 doubting did it even happen? Because yeah. it looks like they're gonna get their comeuppance and then like there's gone. Yeah. Well he goes away like a ghost fading out or something. Yeah. Uh, the the question is, was that an ability that they had, or was it they had seen it already, but this was now their imagination? Was it some sort of euphoria? That I don't know if if there's an answer to that one. Personally, I think that that was deliberately left open to interpretation mm. to add to the creepy factors because that's going to unsettle 
people in a variety of different ways depending upon how you interpret it. So on the one hand, you have the very real threat of a moldy, you know, home invader. And when is he going to be coming or going? And then you have the people that think, oh, was that a ghost? Because, you know, they have that dialogue. Was it a ghost? And then on top of that, you also have the effect of being around the mold that long. Like they start hearing things. I think when the girls are rummaging for food, uh, they both start to hear things. And that could be interpreted as an effect of being around that mold for too long. Like they're slowly starting to lose their grip as – I don't know what you want to call it, but just the, an effect of being around that substance that they're breathing in, obviously, all the time. It's mold. Now, whether or not he was real, that was established later on that, yes, of course he is, and the footprints are there. But when he fades right. out, I think that that's just a mixture of different things that was just meant to just come at you in the way that would hit you hardest without any necessary explanation. I think some of the best horror thriller gags are the ones that leave you guessing what happened there. Um, Is he coming back? Was that real? Because that's the part that can kind of like, as you know, a human being in the dark alone, that's the stuff that really freaks you out. And I think that that was a really good direction by the director. It's the, it's the food for thought thing too i like when i see a movie that's mature enough to say uh, we're not going to give you every single answer we're going to have you guys talking about it later and i think that that and here we are talking about it there we go but i think that uh it, you know to me i would have almost said it was some some ability that they had to sort of like almost like a defense mechanism where maybe they were there earlier like with just moments earlier they've walked away but they but they fade out to you so that you can't go on the attack or something I don't know. Just a thought. I do think that the psychological and the physical sort of breakdown of these characters is an important part of the film. Like later on, two of the surviving characters, the fact that they're in that cabin room sweating, looking delirious, and the woman's even saying, well, maybe we should just accept it and eat the mushrooms. There's that symbolism with sort of withdrawal effects that you know, serious drug users do get when they haven't taken drugs. You know, they look absolutely yeah. horrific. They're, they're sweating, they're, you know, they're frightened. And there's that real sense of the, it's pointless kind of putting up a resistance. I'm having a look on Wikizilla. And what's interesting <laughs> is that it refers, I know it's, it's a great website. Uh, it refers to the transitional Matango, which is the chap that we were referring to kind of attacks the boat, which I think we all agree is the uh, scarier one. But interestingly, the full-size suit, uh, Matango, the giant mushroom, one of the suit actors was uh, Haruo Nakajima, who's the original Godzilla, which is nice to see. Yeah, well, this was directed by Ishiro Honda, too. So, I mean, it's got quite a pedigree behind it. It's got a lot of great actors. Absolutely. And uh, just in terms of the time context, another one of the suit actors, I'm just bringing up his name, uh, Tokio Okawa, he was in the Second World War in the army, so you know this is a long time ago. It's just, it's. I think it's staggering to think just how far back this film goes. Yeah, I, I, usually when I watch a film, I go guess the date. I mean, I might already kind of know that it's from the '60s or the '50s or whatever, mm. and I go, but I always go get the date. How close can you? I was way off. I was gonna say like '67, '68 with this, which in in the in the time frame, but '63. 
I mean, some of the actors I didn't see again until like uh, the, 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 our, our hero, the lead, well, uh, the one who ends up eating the mushrooms. I, 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 the first time I ever saw him was in Destroy All Monsters. Yeah. And uh, and and yet I, I but you look at the clothes and the attitudes and I really thought it was a later 60s film and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, there's a little bit of that uh, there, that commentary, uh, some of the stuff that you'd see in the in the uh, Japanese city type films of Akira Kurosawa that talk about what's going on in Japan at the time. And this this movie did it, although they moved it to an island, it was still sort of the same issues that they were working out. So um, it was surprisingly mature for for for, for its age, I think it is. Mm. I just want to go back to like we mentioned that had like solid cast, solid pedigree. There isn't a bad acting job between any of the actors that we had in this film. They are all remarkably solid in their characters. No. Anybody disagree? Yeah. No, no, they did, a, they did a great job. So yeah, I mean, all good. Directing good, acting good, effects good. One thing that was interesting to me is the girl that played the the good girl. Oh, yeah. the, time, the only time she ever brightens up is right after she's eaten a mushroom. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> – we're back to this. But the rest of the time, she's scared. She's panicked. She's worried. She's looking at the floor. She's yeah. going to throw up on the boat, whatever. But at that one moment, it was like getting hit with a sledgehammer when she goes, oh, come on in here with us. you know. And she's eating the mushroom, and I'm like, that's – that's what it took for her. It's like when you see somebody who's never had a drink before and all of a sudden they have their first drink and they're like instantly, instantly mm, changed. Yeah. It was, it was creepy in its own way. You know, yeah. the token introvert who discovers beer and then becomes the life and soul <laughs> of the party. Yeah. It's a bit out of character and it's great for a bit, but it's not good. Yeah. There's something yeah. Wrong it was there. creepy. I mean, it actually, it actually had the reverse effect on me. It spooked me. You know, mm, so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to those two characters, we have Akira Kubo, and then I want to say, was was it? It wasn't Hiroshi. Was it Miki Yashiro? I think that's it. Akio, that's her name. Who um the character or the actor? Yeah, it was. Sorry, it was it was Miki Yashiro, and Akio was her character. Um. Mm-hmm. The university employee. Yeah, so those two – okay, spoilers, folks. So this film has what I would call as a twist ending. So you think Akira or Professor Kenji has gotten away from the island. He's been rescued, albeit he's in Tokyo and they think he's nuts, so they have him locked away. But he's telling us this story. We're all seeing it as he tells the story of what happened. And then at the very end, I mean, like, we're gutted because Akiko, I mean, like, she is on that island. She's obviously become a mushroom. And it's shortly before she tries the mushrooms that he tells her that he loves her. I mean, I want to, like, kind of blot out from my mind that he slaps her right before he tells her that. (laughs) Which, yeah, I mean... Hasn't aged well, has it? It hasn't aged well, but at the same time... You can understand why if he was talking to anyone else and like the some the person's babbling and they're just going into a deeper and deeper train of thought and they're just kind of coming off the rails why you might like pinch them or whatever to like stop it. Stop it. Get a grip. Yeah, it was more of a but, slap out of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get but, yourself together. But still, he did that quite hard right before he told her that he loved her. And I'm just like <laughs> 
Great delivery, dude. Great delivery. But anyway, um, though uh, he admits that he loves her right before she tries the mushroom and like, that's harrowing enough. But what really like drives it home for me, what really makes this a tragic story is as he's finishing up telling his story, he turns his face because he's kind of been in the shadows as he's been telling the story. Then you see his face and you see that he's becoming a Matango. He's becoming a mushroom person himself. And he's saying, I should have just stayed there on the island if I loved her. If this was going to happen anyway, I might as well have been with them and been happy and been with my love. But instead, he is isolated in Tokyo, and he's still going to have that same fate. However, he's not going to be with the person that he loved. And that twist at the end, no, he didn't actually get away. He didn't actually survive, so to speak. He's been infected. This is going to happen to him. And all these doctors and lab coats are just looking at him, waiting for it to happen. It's really sad. It's a message of nihilism. So he's in an, an insane asylum, did we say? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I, I thought. It's kind of left open. He keeps saying Certainly that you guys... a padded guys, cell. Yeah, he's, he's in a padded cell with bars, and he's referencing... It's just like, I don't want to tell you this story, because then you really are going to think that I'm crazy. Think that he's got nuts, yeah. Yeah. But he's, he's, well, they can clearly see that he's, he's physically changing. So... Yeah. <laughs> but it might be that so he's he, been trapped for a tropical disease, whereas he's recalling yeah. a story about losing all of his friends and all of the fantastical things that have happened... Yeah, it might be that that's happening to him, but not for the reasons he stated. That he's saying, yeah, okay. Because I was thinking, yeah, he belongs in a hospital. Not uh... Are we really downplaying the tropical disease bit? Because he has mushrooms growing out of his face. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a certain stretch I'm willing to accept. But if I was a doctor, I'd be like, that seems serious. The tropical parts of the world do some pretty scary things, you know. Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, they, they, I remember the original cut of this, the doctor went over, broke one off of his face and ate it, and they cut that out. Oh, really? Whoa. Not, that no, I just, just, I just took it a whole set <laughs> I just like, you that just, Okay, okay. <laughs> wow. I was I was just saying, that just went like an extra step darker. Like, you just oh. blew my mind there. Attack, like, of, oh. Attack of the Mushroom People, part oh, two. Oh, that was good. That's, well, you say that, actually, but, but this was also based on a short story um, called The Voice in the Night which was done uh-huh. in 1907. And in that story, the people go to the island and they get infected and they end up eating themselves. Ew. Uh, that so, would have been even creepier. Yeah. The theme of cannibalism. I, I do have to ask a question, though, because yeah. in the cut I saw, um, at the end, he says, I ate them. Yeah. Yeah. But did he, did he actually eat them? Because I heard that in one cut, he doesn't say he ate them. In another cut, he does. But so we, we, we don't just... know because the the mental state of the characters is totally chaotic because, you know, like, was the transitional Matango actually there? Was it a ghost? Did they just see things? The impression I got was that you don't really know who took what. Okay. So, yeah, again, how you... The way I interpreted it when I saw that is that he did try that. But, I mean, I think that him running off the island to the boat was shortened and you mm. get some more of the shock factor when he describes it because I can totally understand, sympathize, and imagine him running away where his friends are all on this island. They're all technically alive. The woman he's just admitted to being in love with is right there. He's hungry. He's off his gourd. I mean, 
would you not have second thoughts? Would you perhaps try the mushroom? And then, you know, in a maybe, maybe not, like, you know, like he was in a state, like, okay, I'll try it. And then his actual mind kicks in, like, no, 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 that was very bad. I need to get out of here. But by then he's already done it. I think that, you know, like while running away, he may have tried it. I mean, the other question to ask is what did he eat on the boat? Yeah. I think he yeah, had a, sli- yeah. a sly nibble on a mushroom on the way home, for, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right, it is time for our second break, folks. When we get back, I'm sure we'd all love to hear about Mark Maddox's work. So um, we're looking forward to hearing that shortly. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. We're always driving to dance lessons. So we signed up for Know Your Drive. We save money and get closer to her dancing dreams. The daring young man on the flying trapeze. Or maybe her singing dreams. Sign up for Know Your Drive and save up to 20%. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Products not available in every state. Discount terms apply. Visit amfam.com slash knowyourdrive for details. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, SI, and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello again. Uh, this is Mark Maddox coming back at you with the guys at Kaiju Curry House, James, Paul, and Joe. And uh, I guess we're going to talk about uh, a little bit of my artwork and how I got started in it. Please. So, so, so when when did you first start your artwork? Well, I mean the the, the first thing the first thing was is when I was a little kid. Um, my my I have an older brother and he was a big monster movie fan. And we had a you know magazines where we were buying stuff like Famous Monsters of Filmland and everything. And uh, but I lived in Europe. Uh, lived in Germany for a while as a kid, so I didn't get to see as many monster movies as kids in the United States were seeing. Came back around 1969, and luckily for me, seeing uh, a bunch of different films, Hammer films, Ray Harry Howls, and War of the Worlds, but luckily for me, my first kaiju film was the original Godzilla. Uh, yeah, it was the one with uh, with uh, the guy that plays Perry Mason, but um, Raymond Burr. But still, that was my first one. And I was always grateful that that was my first kaiju film, not to jump in in the middle of a God, uh, somewhere in the middle of the Godzilla series or something like that. Uh, but over the years, I'd always loved all kinds of movies, and uh, I was pretty good at drawing and stuff, uh, and uh, really got into it. And then it became a profession. I became like a corporate art director and everything like that. And started doing, for fun in the evenings, monster magazine artwork for magazines like Little Shop of Horrors and Mad Scientist and stuff like that. And then uh, around 2008, we had, in, in this country, we had a big downturn in the economy, and I lost my, my corporate job and struggled and struggled and struggled. I mean, I just couldn't make the kind of money. So I said, you know what, I, I'm going to just do this and get really serious about it. So I started to do covers for everybody and anybody and started doing also novel covers and book covers and things like that. But I always leaned to doing film artwork because I'm such a film fanatic. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've done my share of Hammer films. I've done my share of – I've not done enough kaiju work. There's definitely more stuff I want to do, but I've had the pleasure of doing doing some. And uh, uh, But, yeah, I mean, I just love – I love it. And then usually some little uh, – somebody will float something out there. It's like, oh, we're thinking about doing an article on this movie. Would you like to do the artwork for the cover? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Even sometimes if it's a movie I don't like, I'll still do it because I want to see if I can make it look better in my mind on the cover than it was in the film. But most of the time I have a tendency to love the films that they give me the work for. So. Brilliant, because it says on your website that your desire is to create the most memorable illustrations possible, and that's how you approach every project. So that seems like a pretty good ethos to hold. Yeah, I get real serious about it. I, I, um, I, uh, you know, I, I don't beat. Well, I guess beat myself up about it isn't uh, isn't the exact way to say it. But I will agonize over something if I think it isn't right. Mm-hmm. And then I'll step away from it from a little bit or, or, or whatever and then go back. And it's very rare that I release something or it's actually there's only been a few times I've ever released artwork where the person publishing the work wanted something done or changed specifically that I, I didn't agree with, but they did it. And it's there's only been a few covers I've kind of disappointed with, but most of the other stuff I stand behind it pretty much. Excellent. Um, You won the Rondo Award for 2011 Horror Artist of the Year. Can I ask what the art was that you did for that? Oh, goodness. Or was it a collection of bits of art that you... It's it's the work of the year. Yeah, I mean, I've won won again this year. I've won the award... um, Congratulations. I've got to look up there (laughs) six, six... Six times. I've won it six times. Wow. Oh, crikey. Okay. And, that's, uh... and uh, well, that's okay. I mean, but I'm, I'm very proud of that. Just usually it's a collective of things. I mean, anything from the Night Stalker television show, I'll do a book cover for that, and then a, a Blu-ray cover for a film, and then uh, some magazine covers. It's just eclectic. It comes in out of, out of left field. I, I stay so busy that my work, there's usually quite a few pieces every year for people to look at. Some Monster Magazine cover artists do like one or two pieces a year. Yeah. Or I, I might have anywhere from, uh, you know, 10 to 10 to 30. It depends. Wonderful. So, yeah. Well, it's great that you've been so busy. What job have you enjoyed the most? Or rather than picking one, can you give us a couple of examples of films that you've enjoyed, particularly as highlights? Well, I, I like the old, I like when I get a chance to do the old Universal Monsters, the original, you know, Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi movies. Hammer has been a lot of fun for me to do, especially when you get some feedback uh, from some of the people that, that have worked in them. Kaiju-wise, my, my favorite piece of artwork I did was from uh, uh, Ghidra, Three-Headed Monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I did a wraparound nice. cover for Mad Scientist that I was very, very happy with. Uh, you know, It took a long time, though. Some of these things, some covers can take as short as... I don't know, five days if it's if it if it just hits me right and it goes but something like that, that was almost like three weeks, maybe, maybe even four, because I had all the creatures in it, Godzilla, Ghidra, uh, Mothra and Rodan. And then it just you know, it's it's gotta be right. This thing was huge. It was a huge piece. So I love a lot of them. It's it's very it's 
I'm trying to think. It's almost easier to pick what I wouldn't like to do than what I do, because I love all this stuff. Brilliant. Could you link us to that uh, piece that you mentioned? Because it'd be interesting to see that. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do is uh, I'll I'll send you a copy of the image. I, I don't know if you guys posted it through a web page or something like that, and then mm -hmm. I'll, and I'll mm -hmm. just make sure you get a copy of it oh, for sure. Fantastic. That would be so, great. Yeah. Uh, was there any other questions from either of the two of you about Mark's artwork? So I'm a huge fan of The Abominable Snowman by Hammer. By chance, sir, have you taken a stab at that one? I was originally, I think I was supposed to do it for one of, uh, I think it was considered to be used in one of Dennis Meikle's covers for Hemlock Books. And I don't know why, for some reason, it was in there and then it, it, it wasn't. The, uh, really, uh, the movie itself, if you really look at the movie, there really is no horror imagery in the film hardly at all. The only thing that's otherworldly that would be like in a in a still image would be that one little moment of the face at the end of the film. Spoiler. Is oh, the, we've already it, gone over it. Is, <laughs> yeah, but, but what I'm saying is it's the film in motion and the and the dialogue and the lighting and everything in that film that makes it a great movie. It's hard to do a still image from that film as a monster artist, I mean, you can have Peter Cushing and Forrest Tucker arguing or something like that, but it's sort of like that doesn't really come across as horrific. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So we originally had thought about putting the, the, the uh, creature in at the very end, but it's sort of like it's the one moment of the film. And I was I don't remember if it was sort of like, do we really want to spoil this on the cover or it, since it is the only thing? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Does yeah. that make sense at all? No, it doesn't make sense the, because there's but only no, one reveal movie. of the monster. So there's not kind yes. of there's not big shocker moments in the film. I mean, I've not seen it, but Joe did a review of it, and you speak very fondly of the film, don't you, Joe? I think that that film is a masterpiece. I mean, it, it was filmed on shoestring budget to be sure, but I mean, so good. Hammer Hammer didn't necessarily have all the production value, but they certainly had the plot in a lot of their films. I think they did a really fantastic job with that one. I would love to see the original, um, uh, te the live television show. It was with Stanley Baker. I think it was Stanley Baker and Peter Cushing called the creature. It was a live presentation of it yeah. before the film got made. Yeah. Kind of in the in that in that whole Quatermass, you know, on TV first and then at the movies sort of thing. I I, I hate the fact that the original episodes of the first Quatermass series, like most of them, are missing or just destroyed or whatever. It's like an actual crime. There should be people in jail over that one. You know. It is a brilliant film, though. And again, we are talking yeah. about The Abominable Snowman by Hammer, and it's yeah. a good one. It's an oldie, but definitely a goodie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There were rumblings that that was going to get remade at one point, I think, relatively recently. But oh, well. I don't know if they could improve on it, though. I you, mean, the whole you point couldn't, is you... you couldn't. But yeah. I think it's just bringing it to a larger audience. I mean, if they stuck to it, you you don't necessarily have to improve it. You just refilm it, I suppose. The one thing that I found that was really interesting is over here, you can get it. It's like five pounds to get the movie. I don't know how accessible it is to get in the United States. I, I think it's easier now. I think, I think Shout Factory released it not too far back. I already had a copy from a while back, but through Anchor Bay on DVD, but I always upgrade as soon as something 
goes, but I, I'm pretty certain that Shout Factory's got the Blu-ray of it now. Matter of fact, I'm almost positive. Now you got me. Now you got me wondering. <laughs> or if you're looking it up, let me know because I would get the Blu-ray. It's only five ninety-nine on Amazon. Oh, there yeah. we go. Yeah, so easy enough here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are we are Hammer Central, so that's that's kind of why we get those goodies. True. But it is a great film. And just while you're checking that out, Mark, you were saying during the break that actually you live pretty much in the location where Creature from the Black Lagoon was um, filmed. Get another Joe buzzword. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have any stories about that? Any any local well, knowledge? Well, I mean, we go down there and swim and everything like that. I mean, it's also where they filmed uh, some of the Johnny Weissmiller uh, Tarzan films and then also... Not that Christopher Lee was here, I wish he had been, but they filmed some scenes from Airport uh, 77 because they could submerge the side of the fake airplane into the uh, into the water there because it's so crystal clear. Um, yes, The Abominable Snowman in the Himalayas, 2734 Blu-ray Prime. Uh, yeah, in in the U.S. So yeah, you can definitely, definitely get it here. Interesting that they added that bit to the title. Cool. I will look for that yeah. now. But um, yes, uh, I mean, I've met Rico, uh, the, the the person who played the swimming creature multiple times. As a matter of fact, he's come back here. Uh, he is still he's the only one still with us. Uh, Julie Adams and uh, oh, goodness, now I'm forgetting his name. The the one who played the creature on land uh, had come here too to to Wakulla Springs and they had an actual like a creature festival uh, right there. And Rico and I have you know, talk several times. Uh, he's seen my artwork that I've done uh, of the creature from the Black Lagoon. As a matter of fact, a lot of times people come by the table, buy a piece that I do, and then they take it to him and he signs it. We did a long time ago, a friend of mine, Jim Adams and I, we, we started doing this thing at the table, just stand there with a microphone and ask people what the number one monster is of all time. And it kind of shocked me because way down on the list is like Dracula and Frankenstein and closer to the top is like the Wolfman and King Kong. But at the very tip top by a wide margin is Creature from the Black Lagoon. And that kind of, it kind of surprised me. I would have thought it would have been Frankenstein or Dracula would have been first just by their name. But when you look at it and when you see that thing, even in comparison to monsters in a lot of modern films, they pale in comparison to this to the to this creature. It's just amazing how every part, every aspect of that creature works. So it's uh, pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's fun times. I wish I'd really like to go down there and get all sorts of <laughs> creature stuff from my office. More creature stuff from my office. <laughs> uh-huh. It is actually time to wrap up, folks. Uh, I am sorry to say. Well, thank you for sharing those stories about Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I do think it's been interesting talking about Matango. I would like to say that when I watched it a few nights ago, I didn't get into it half as much as I wanted to, for whatever reason, I just wasn't feeling the movie. But the three of you, the way you talked about it, it just made me want to watch it again. I think sometimes that can happen with a film, so you've shone lots of new perspective on it for me. Paul, if nothing else, what would you like to recommend today? Well, I feel like I should recommend another kind of Toho film that isn't Kaiju kind of as much. So, And I was going to go with The Human Vapor, but I haven't actually seen it. I'm curious if that's any good. Um, Mark, have you seen that by any chance? Because you did mention it earlier. 
I mentioned it. I saw part of it. And uh, as a matter of fact, it's funny because I had never seen it, started watching it a few weeks ago and got pulled away. <laughs> but it was in the vein of what we're talking about. So, okay. yeah, I'm definitely planning on watching it like this week or something. Yeah, I'm definitely going to give that a go. So I'm going to recommend The Human Vapor. But I also just have to give another shout out to Wolfie's Just Fine. I have to say, go to YouTube and watch the Tremors music video. The song's called Trying to Sleep. He's also done one called A New Beginning, which is a tribute to Friday the 13th, which is also great. So that's my if nothing else. Thank you, guys. Cool. Joel? So if nothing else from Joe this week, I'm going to say uh, if you have Amazon Prime, go ahead and watch Matango, also known as Attack of the Mushroom People. It is one of those films where if you go in understanding what you're watching, like looking for like an allegorical film, I guess that's the best way to put it. You're going to have a load of fun. But what I would preference it with is to read Lord of the Flies first, or at least brush up on it because you will get a lot out of that film. If you give it some more context, but I think it's a fantastic film. It is so layered and it looks like it's been a bit slated online, but I think it's one of the greats, honestly. So give it a go. Alex, what would you recommend, good sir? I would like to recommend a film that our good friend Alan Maxson was raving about on Facebook the other day, uh, Escape from Planet of the Apes, which I know isn't a classic kaiju movie, but it falls under kind of our broad umbrella of practical special effects and men in suits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... I think of the original Planet of the Apes movies, it's a highly underrated film along with Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I think that they're, they're they're real gems. Yeah, I'm getting a thumbs up from Mark. Yeah, what are your thoughts on those Beneath. films? But, yeah, I really like Beneath. I think Beneath's quite a disconcerting film, and I won't say more than that. But it, it's it's really worth the watch. Alongside that. I can't bring myself to recommend Mimic 2, um, because whilst it surprised me, it's not a gem. What I will give as a recommendation is Mysterious Island 1961, which is an absolutely wonderful introduction mm -hmm. for younger viewers into kind of the, the monster world. Mark, our guest, if nothing else, what can you recommend to us? Um... By the way, Beneath the Planet of the Apes is 50 years old, I think about three weeks ago. Oh, when cool. It premiered. Wow. Uh, we did a show of it on, on the podcast that I'm on quite a bit called Monster Attack. Uh, we do all kinds of monster movies. We'll do ones – we do a whole bunch that we love, and then every once in a while we'll do one that we – that and it's very rare because I think there's almost always a silver lining to some film, and I try to <laughs> yeah. look at it that way. If we do the, if we do like the Brainiac with the guy sucking the girl's brain, whatever, it's still cool. But every once in a while, we'll do something like the Creeping Terror, or we'll do a Larry Buchanan film, or something like that, where we we do a thing called Ragorama, where we just tear into it because there's absolutely not one redeeming thing about it. Very rare, though. Like. 0.2% of the shows. Anyway, on Monster Attack, we did Beneath the Planet of the Apes, and my thing is, while I think that the first one is probably the best film just for the sheer originality of it, I think the second film does the first film in about 30 to 45 minutes, and then you get all this other great stuff layered in on top of it, you know, General Ursus and the ape mutants and the, you know, Charlton Heston blowing up the Earth. I mean, what's not to like? I mean, it's just sort yeah. of this ins insane thing. 
But other than that, uh, I, one thing here in the U.S., Mill Creek, who has been starting to do really beautiful work with uh, films and television shows from Japan uh, related to the fantastical, they are re- they just released a double bill of the H-Man and Battle in Outer Space. And both of those movies are great. They're, uh, H-Man is court- sort of in the same vein, a little bit of the same vein as... Uh, Matango, uh, small monsters this time, but Mill Creek so far, the quality of the films like Mothra and the uh, some of the other television shows and movies that are very very high quality. They do a great job on restoration, and the prices are cheap. They're very inexpensive for the work that they do. So I recommend uh, their double bill of the H Man and Battle in Outer Space. Nice, perfect. Well, thank you so much for that. Right, it's time to wrap up, guys. Joe, can you lead us away? Folks, thanks a million for joining us this episode, and as always, keep a kaiju. Thanks for joining us at the Curry House today. We hope we've given you enough kaiju goodness to last until next time. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Curry Kaiju. If you want to join us on Facebook, we're at UK Kaiju. And if you want to find out about other shows in the network, please visit heroespodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Before we go on to our second part, I just need to go and grab something. Can you guys, this is a bit odd to say, can you guys remember the bikini that the main lady is wearing? The rainbow coloured uh, bikini? Yeah, kind of, sort of. Why? I mean, I watched Why, it this afternoon, it? so... <laughs> yeah, okay, one second. You've got it or something? I can't see your, your video feed, Alex, so this is going to be, you know... Oh, so if he comes in wearing a bikini now, then you're just going to completely miss it. Yeah, pretty oh, no, much. He, what on earth is that? No, it's not. That's what okay, she so said. So he's not wearing the bikini. So he's, yeah, you're not wearing the no, bikini. No, 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 I'm no, almost no. disappointed. I'm not about to um, give you nightmares. It's the fact that when I watched it a couple of nights ago, when I, I saw her bikini, I was like, oh, like pretty much colour for colour, that is my <laughs> baby wearing sling. Oh. <laughs> I cannot see your feed, but I believe you. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl and afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. The policy has no fine print. It's clear what's covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this pet store is protected by three. Joe, did you leave the snake tank open? Look, I don't want to point fingers, but yes. It's fighting me. Sorry, sir. I'm calling my lawyer. They're going to need some help with this mess. Luckily, they have three. No fine print, just exceptional coverage. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense.